0: Okay. Well, good morning. <laughs> well, that happened once at this church I was pastoring and preaching at, and it was about 10 minutes into the sermon. The The mic cuts out, and they have to start over for the recording, and I, si- I simply looked out to everybody and I said, listen, you guys know I'm starting over from here. Like, uh, we're not, uh, those 10 minutes didn't count, but, but no, really, uh, so th- this isn't specifically a Mother's Day message, but I'm hoping that this is very relevant to mothers because Being married to a mom, having a mom, and seeing and knowing so many moms out there right now, mothering can be a very weary work. It can be tiring, and so the message this morning is about how this servant of the Lord sustains the weary, and so I hope that this is going to serve in a couple ways, obviously not just for mothers, but all of us can be weary. Everybody can be wore down from life, and especially from running the Christian race, following Jesus, oftentimes can be wearying. And so I hope that this message will serve as a word of encouragement to the weary, but also we're going to see in this servant a way of example, a life to be mimicked and following after. And so as we work through the text today, as we look into Isaiah chapter 50, we want to see that. We want to hear a word of encouragement that this servant will indeed sustain the one who is weary. And so if you're here this morning and you're weary, you're worn out, you're tired, if you're like me, oftentimes your heart just desires that the Christian life would be a life of ease and that if I just read my Bible and do my devotions, then it's gonna be smooth sailing and so you're caught off guard when things are hard and I know that it's easy for me to fall into that, then I hope today is a word of encouragement in the weariness which isn't oftentimes the way we think or feel, that we will have a word of encouragement in the weariness, and that the weariness itself is actually a means of God's grace, and I hope that becomes clear. But then we're also going to see something else. We're going to see this one who sustains us with his word, that he is also an example for us. And so with that in mind, let me read through our section of Scripture. It's in Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 through 11. I'm going to be reading and preaching from the New American Standard, and I know that we have the ESV out there. Uh, they're they're fairly close in this passage, so bear with me. Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 through 11. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples, that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear And I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting, for the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I am not disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed." He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up to each other. Who has a case against me? Let him draw near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who is he who condemns me? Behold, they will wear out like a garment, and the moth will eat them. Who is among you that fears the Lord? that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light, let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with firebrands, walk in the light of your fire. And among the brands you have set ablaze, this you will have from my hand. You will lie down in torment. Let's pray and ask God to Bless the reading of his word that we would hear today what the Lord has to say to us. Father, above all else today, we need to hear from you. Lord, we need to hear from the living God. We need to receive your word. We need to humble ourselves, oh God, in a position to longingly receive what you have for us. And so God, I pray that you would guard my heart. Lord, that there would be nothing that is said this morning that has not come forth from you, from your word. And Lord, that in that way we would be like Christ, that we would hear, we would obey, and we would seek your will above all things. Lord, help us to behold the unique glory of Jesus this morning, who has heard perfectly, who has obeyed perfectly, who leads as an example, but also who has done everything that we have not pray that you would do that now in jesus name amen so this morning i want to look first i want us to look as we're looking into the text we want to ask ourselves about this text what is it that's going on what is being done here what is being promised and, and that is simply what we talked about earlier in verse 4 we read this the lord god has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. And so this text is all about that. It's all about this servant and his ability to sustain the weary one. And so then we need to ask ourselves, okay, well, who is the weary one that he's talking about? And a little bit of the setting will be helpful for that as we understand what's going on here. We have here, this is written to address Judah as they're in exile. They have... For, for a long time, had this exile prolonged. The northern tribes had been led away by the king of Assyria because of their unfaithfulness. And so the northern tribes of Israel, not walking in faithfulness to their God, had been wiped away, taken away, led into exile. But Judah had remained longer. And this addresses Judah when they will eventually be under Babylonian captivity. And there is a remnant, though, in that group. There is always a remnant. There's a remnant in that group who, even though they have been faithful, will be brought away, will be moved from where they've been, what they've always known, into a new place. Which means for them that they will be removed from the land that God has promised to them, the land that God has placed them in. They will be removed from the presence of the temple, which is to say from the presence of God where God has chose for the manifestation of his glory and his presence to dwell with his people. And so now there is this group that is being addressed who is called Weary, who has left the promised land and is now as an exile living in Babylon. And this is fitting for all of us who are following Jesus today. Because each one of us, each one of us are exiles, we're strangers, this is not our home. Peter actually addresses the church, he calls them the chosen exiles, the elect exiles of God. We have been, by God, set apart, chosen, but to serve here in this world as aliens and strangers. This is not our home, and there are so many things about this life that are wearisome to us, that are hard. And that's the inevitable result of knowing the Lord, knowing the way things are supposed to be, having this desire in our heart for wholeness, and yet living in the midst of brokenness. And there's a thousand different ways that we can be weary. I want us to to look, though, and to understand a little more of this, just to turn back to Isaiah chapter 40. As we think through this weariness, and who's being addressed, and what does it mean to be weary? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 starts this way. There's a, there's a giant transition in the book of Isaiah. After chapter 39 and beginning with chapter 40, God now be, begins to address his people, not, not with the prophetic word of repent or else, because at this point, it's looking to that time when they are in exile, but now he begins to address the people of God with a word of comfort. And so Isaiah verse 1 in chapter 40 says this, Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God, and speak kindly to Jerusalem and then I want to fast forward us in Isaiah chapter 40 all the way down to verse 28 we hear this address and remember this is an address of comfort do you not know have you not heard the everlasting God the Lord the creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired Now, here's God's people, and they're wearied in exile, and they're tired, and they're wondering, has God's word failed? I mean, we're not in the promised land. We're not experiencing what we've come to know in the presence of God and all of this. Has God's word failed? Is God tired? Is he just weak that he can't redeem us? And that's not at all the case. The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. God knows what he's doing. His wisdom is beyond anything that we could ever imagine. Nothing about God can be scrutinized. And then here, verse 29. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. But notice the prerequisite to strength and to increasing power. It's weariness and lacking might. So that it's not when... when As a follower of the true and living God, as a follower of Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that that we profess Jesus as Lord and Savior and then everything just gets easy. This is for those who are following, who are faithful, and they find themselves weary and lacking strength. Verse 30. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, In other words, everybody, even those who are at the peak of their physical life, everybody's going to get tired and weary. But then verse 31, Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. But notice here, I think it's easy for us to skip what this actually says. Those who wait on the Lord... This will happen to them. That means that there is this time that's being looked at right now when they're weary and they're tired. And what they're called to do right now is to trust that God is not weary. God is not tired. His word to them has not failed. And so in their weariness, in their tiredness, in being removed from where they were and their normal experience of God's presence, the way that they had always felt it, so now things are radically different. And it's wearing on them. It's not what they expect. It's not what they're used to. And they're tired. And God says, you need to trust me. Wait on me. I will come through. The Babylonian exile, 70 years he asked them to wait in that condition, in that time, before they were restored as a group of them back to the land. Egypt, 400 years they were enslaved in Egypt. God called them to wait and trust. They went there as about 70 people. And during those 400 years when they were enslaved under Pharaoh and the Egyptians, God was doing something. He was fulfilling and bringing about promises in the Abrahamic covenant. When God said, man, I'm going to make you a multitudinous nation. I'm going to increase your number. And so they're called to wait on the Lord. Now, back to right before our passage, Isaiah 49 In verse 23, in Isaiah 49, we heard about this last week, there is the servant of the Lord, and he is there, and he is bringing about, he is reconciling God's promise to Abraham, and in light of the sinfulness of God's people, and so he, in the the person of the servant, we see these things reconciled so that God can indeed be kind and merciful in light of sin because of the servant and what he would do. He's promised this to them. He's told them in verses 8 through 13, which we did not look at, about all of the good things that would come. But then in verse 14, this is what we hear. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, and the Lord has forgotten me. The Lord said, The servant of the Lord heard, and the servant of the Lord proclaimed what the Lord was doing. The Lord said, But Zion said. The Lord said, I will be faithful to my promise to you. I will accomplish all of my good purposes for you, but because that God wasn't doing it in order and in line with what they expected and anticipated, this is what we heard. The Lord has forsaken me. No, notice the difference. The Lord said and they said. Two different words to be believed. Two different things to be heard, received, and believed. Now, as we look ahead to verse 23, God's response to that statement in 14. So in Isaiah 49, 23, we hear this. Kings will be your guardians. L- let me just pause for a minute and say this. And I'm sorry, I see all these heads going down and then back up. And it's, it, it's probably a little dizzying. But um, I just want to say this. God's people, all of us in our heart. Yeah, but I don't like what you're doing. This rebellion over and over again. And, and God has just lavished grace on them in 49, 1 through 13. And then in 14, they're like, yeah, but the Lord has forsaken us. And what does God do? He speaks again in grace to them. He pursues. He comes after. Time and time and time again. This is a gracious God. He will pursue you. He will come after you. And I would just plead with you today. If you're at that spot of verse 14 where you're like, I feel like the Lord has forsaken me. Listen. Please listen, because he's coming after you with grace again and again and again. But he says this in verse 23. Kings will be your guardians and princesses your nurses. Boy, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? It Sounds like Moses. It sounds like this idea where where Moses was brought into Pharaoh's house and and he was guarded by the king of Egypt, by Pharaoh himself, and where the princess, the son, uh, or the daughter of the Pharaoh cared for and was a mother to Moses. And it sounds like what happened afterwards as God leads his people triumphantly. They will bow down to you with their faces to the earth and lick the dust of your feet, and you will know that I am the Lord. In other words, you're in exile now, just like my people were under the bondage of Egypt, and I was faithful then, and I will be faithful again. And then he says this word, those who hopefully wait for me will not be put to shame. Can you hear that word this morning? If you're here this morning and you're struggling, maybe you're on the fence. Maybe you're like, I signed up for this Christianity thing and I'm following Jesus, but man, it just seems like I don't know which way it's gonna go. Like, is he really faithful? Will he do this? And I I just plead with you that you would hear that today. Those who hopefully, who wait in hope, who, who in spite of all the circumstances and even all of that inner turmoil that boils up within us, that we battle day by day, those who stay the course, who continue to follow Jesus, who continue simply to say, he's my hope. My trust is in him, and when things are hard and things are in turmoil inside of me, I'm still following him because he's all I got. You will not be put to shame, the word says. And there are times you're going to feel ashamed, and that's okay. You will not ultimately be put to shame if you trust Christ, if you follow him, if you wait on the true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We all get weary. But as we turn back now to Isaiah chapter 50, we hear these words. The Lord God has given me, this is the servant, and we hear that in verse 10. This is the servant speaking again. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples or of those who learn or are taught that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. And so now we wanna look at how it is that he sustains. And simply put, this servant sustains the weary one with a word, the word of the Lord. Notice what it says again, that the Lord God has given him the tongue of a disciple, of a learner. And what I love about that is he's given him the tongue, which means that, yes, he will speak, and he will speak this word, and it's an effective word, but it is a word and it's speech that is forged in listening and hearing. It is the kind of speech that is not ultimately from us, but from God. It is the kind of speech, and this is why it's effective, because it is the word of the everlasting God that we just heard about. God is referred to four times in this text as, what comes across in my translation, the Lord God, which is to say, King Yahweh, the sovereign ruler Yahweh. This one who ordains all that takes place. The one who is in control of the universe. And this servant. Now notice that. Those play on words and those terms. The one who sustains us with his effective word is the servant of the king, God. And the way he does it is he listens, he hears, and he's shaped by this one. And this is so true for all of us, isn't it? How important it is for us. hear from him remember mary and martha martha's just going like crazy right and there's stuff to be done i mean listen you got to give her a little bit of a break jesus is coming over for dinner right and so like we have people over to our house on friday night and so the girls are moving it's like it's time to clean the house we're gonna get the house ready okay and i love you guys who come over on friday night i really do you're not Jesus, okay? So Jesus is coming over, right? Okay, and by the way, when I come to your house, it's less than not Jesus. Okay? So let's just say that. But Jesus is coming over, and so you can imagine Martha, she's like, there's stuff that's gotta get done. Jesus comes over, she's still scrambling, she's trying to put that best foot forward, and there's Mary. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm just sitting down, chilling at the feet of Jesus. What she, She's listening to him. And Martha's like, Jesus, could you have her get up and give me a little help here? Do you remember what He says, And she chose the better thing she's listening she's soaking in and there she is sitting at the feet of jesus doing what we're trying to accomplish in this sermon series which is simply to behold that unique glory to hear from this one and what's amazing is jesus does this better than anybody else he's done it perfectly the one to whom we hitch ourselves and we say, we're disciples of this one, of this Lord Jesus, is himself the perfect disciple, the perfect learner. This is one who hears, whose life is meant to mimic and serve the life of another. That's what it means to be a disciple. You're a follower, a learner. You're one who tries to mimic the life of this person, and this is exactly what the servant does of the Lord. Now notice this, next. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. Morning by morning, this is happening. This servant who, remember, is himself, as we see the fullness of what God reveals to us in the Gospels and in the New Testament, who is himself, yes, fully man like us, but fully God, this one is awakened morning by morning to hear from the Lord. That means that in Jesus' perfection, as a part of what it means to be perfect, he comes to receive morning by morning. And so if, like me and like many of us, you feel like, no, 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 what it would mean to be perfect would be to be completely independent, to not need to receive, then there is a corrective here for us. It's a part of the perfection of the eternal Son, Of our Lord Jesus to morning by morning receive now for us I'm reminded of just how important this ritual this repetitive morning by morning is repetition habit and even this word that we're not real fond of ritual these are things that have shaped the Christian life for years these are things that are super important to us following and so I would simply ask you do you have these repetitions do you have time set aside where you are finding time to hear and to listen day by day? And and it's Mother's Day. Mothers and fathers and, and all of us, like if we're going to instruct our kids, we're going to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. How important is it that before we would be instructors, we would be learners? We would be listeners? It's so important because there are all kinds of rhythms of life out there that want to draw you in, swallow you up, and spit you out. And this is why it's so important that we would pull away from those things and push into God. Jesus did this all the time, didn't he? Jesus would be among the crowds, he would be teaching, he would have people following him, and Jesus is always pulling away from the busyness of life, and he's pushing into God, pulling away from the busyness of life and pushing into God. And this is why he's able to hear and he's able to sustain us with a word. Because as he pulls away, he pushes in to God. Now notice the result of this, verse five. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. So notice the progression here. Pushing away, pulling into God, repeated hearing, coming hungry to hear from God all of the time, and then faithful obedience flowing out of that. See how important it is to hear? I mean, Jesus had to do it. The servant of the Lord had to do it. He had to push in, he had to hear, day by day from the lord and then his obedience flows from that and let me say this this makes sense doesn't it as we hear from the lord the lord reveals himself to us and so that as we're listening this is not we we don't come to this thing to read and so that we could just write a book report right it's not like school like that we come to this because we believe I believe in the core of my being that this is inspired by the living God, that this is a word from God himself for me that I might know him. And when I get to know him, and only when I know him do I want to obey, can I say because of who he is, his word cannot fail. And though I'm in turmoil, though I'm weak, and though I'm faithless, I can say he remains faithful. Because I've seen it over and over and over again, he will not deny himself. He will not go back on his word. And so the servant would come to hear from him. We need to come and hear from him that we might know him. And this is what leads the servant into his obedience. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not disobedient. Obedience must be, can only be, if it's genuine Christian obedience, the outflow of the heart that believes in who he is. That's what obedience is. Obedience is the necessary action of genuine faith. And if it's not the activity of faith, it's not genuine obedience. It's works righteousness, it's trying to earn God's favor, and it's filthy rags as far as God is concerned. And so we must hear from him. You must know him. The servant knew him. He amps it up. He amps up. This obedience, which means your view of him if you're gonna if you're gonna see what goes on here you've got to have a big view of this God you've got to know the Lord his faithfulness who he is because look at verse 6 I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard now we're gonna dive next week deeper into the suffering servant as we look at the end of 52 and 53. And so we're going to hold off on some of that right now. But just know this, the obedience that God was calling this servant to is a crazy kind of obedience. You remember him in the garden? And he's sweating drops of blood because he knows what lies before him. He's there, but, but because he has pulled away, and pushed into God, repeatedly pulled away and pushed into God, he is able, in the midst of sweating drops of blood, to be able to say this, Father, if you can take the cup from me, great, but not my will, yours be done. Staring down that kind of suffering, that kind of shame, that kind of humiliation, and every other thing that you've ever felt that has been a draw on your soul, he bore it there on the cross, and because he pulled away and pushed into the Lord, he was able to pray that prayer, not my will, but yours be done. I hear that, and you know what I think? That's not me. That's not me. And, and I want to just pause and say this right now. That we're hearing this, and this is an example for us, right? But the example is not the gospel, okay? The gospel is that we could never do that perfectly like Jesus did. Like, we want to follow him, and it's good for us, and it will, it will make us more steadfast, and we'll have more hope. But the gospel is that we couldn't do that. The gospel is that the servant, the son, Jesus has done it for us perfectly. That where in our weariness we wavered, or where if we were placed in the garden, I don't know about you, but I probably would have had a panic attack and fell over dead right there, staring down what he stored down. I mean, there's no way. And the gospel is this. It's okay. He did it for you. He took it for you. He knew the Lord like each of us should know the Lord. He came and received from him perfectly, day by day, morning by morning, the perfect repetition, the perfect rituals, the perfect and full understanding of this God, and he walked faithfully into that trial, suffering and pain for us because God knew we could never do it. That's the gospel. He's done it for us. Now, an implication of that is yeah, we want to follow him, because he was steadfast. He had joy in the midst of shame and sorrow. We want to follow him. Now, this obedience, he says, I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. When you talk about humiliating, there is nothing more humiliating than that. You're sitting there, somebody's going after you and they spit in your face it's like the most humiliating thing somebody can do to you he said i didn't cover my face why he knew he knew what he had to do he knew why he was doing it how did he know repeatedly 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 listening to the lord knowing this Lord that was speaking to him and knowing that in the midst of all of that, God was faithful. This was the Lord Almighty. This is the God who created the heavens and the earth. This is the God who parted the Red Sea so that his people could walk through and then swallowed up the strongest army in the world. This is the God who He departed the the river and led his people into the promised land and kicked out nations mightier and stronger than their own. This is the God he knew. He listened and he understood the faithfulness of this one. And so he knew that there was a reason and a purpose and that God was at work and would accomplish his purpose through all of that humiliation and suffering. And that's where verse 7 comes in. I did not cover my face, the end of verse 6, from humiliation and spitting. For the sovereign Yahweh helps me. He knows who this God is. He knows the true and living God. He knows the God of Israel. He knows that he is the one true God who controls all things. And he knows, most importantly, that this God helps him. That's the God that we serve Not some mighty, powerful force that's out there, but the true and living God, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who has all power, infinite power, and who humbles himself to help the likes of us. The fact that we sit here today is a testimony to that. That any one of us would spend our Sundays here is only because of his grace. That he would humble himself to help us. Otherwise, what are we doing? We're just wasting our time. For the Lord God helps me, therefore I am not disgraced. I just got spit in, I, somebody spit in my face. Disgraceful. That's what the headlines would read. Jesus, Rabbi, disgraced. He says, I'm not disgraced. Not in God's eyes. I am walking in faithful obedience. And why? Because his ear is tuned to the word of the Lord, repeatedly hearing from this Lord so that he can know this Lord. Therefore, middle of verse 7, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. Unwavering commitment. And here we are back to the gospel. Of course, this is, this is the example that we want to follow, but we know We know how we have wavered, don't we? But not this one, not this servant. In the midst of the worst trials that you could ever imagine, he was steadfast and undeterred on that mission for us, in our place. And this is why, this is why the word of this servant can sustain you in your weariness, because he has perfectly obeyed, because he has perfectly known this Lord. And so, as we see later... All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, and he can absolutely sustain you in your weariness. Verse 8, he who vindicates me is near. He knew, and this was one of my favorite things. We read Psalm 22 at the beginning. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we hear Jesus proclaim that on the cross. And we know, don't we? We know the end of the story. We know why he was forsaken. Not because of any fault of his own, but because in the greatest act of love ever imaginable, he said, I will take their place. They deserve to be forsaken. They have sinned. They have fallen short of the glory of God. But I will suffer in their place, and I will bear your wrath so that they may know you, Father, because your will is that they would know you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But turn back to Psalm 22. As we think about the fact he set his face like a flint, and he says, though, he knows him who will vindicate him, and he knows that he's near. As you read through Psalm 22, and we heard the beginning, and everybody is familiar with the, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But pick up in verse 22. And this is what we hear from the formerly forsaken one. Verse 22. And and this passage, as we read through it, gets quoted by the author of Hebrews later. But listen to this. I will tell your name to my brethren. And in the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you descendants of Israel. And listen to this. Listen to the compassion of our God, for he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And if you're here today and you're the weary one, know this, that in your weariness, he is sustaining you. Know this, that your experience of weariness is the experience of God's sustaining grace. It doesn't say, I will sustain them and therefore, they won't feel weary. It says, I will sustain the weary one. Your experience of weariness is the experience of God's sustaining grace through the servant who never got weary, who was steadfast in his devotion to the Lord, and therefore, he will sustain you. He knew when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew. He knew that the one who would vindicate him was near, and he knew what he would accomplish through it. And so he stayed steadfast. And that cry of dereliction on the cross, that cry of God-forsakenness was not the end. He knew what the end was. He knew that he would now stand as the risen, exalted, ascended Lord of glory, and he would lead us, like he did this morning, to praise in the congregation that he would lead us then to be able to praise this God in the midst of the gathered church. And so he stayed steadfast where we did not. I turn back now to Isaiah chapter 50. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up each other. Who has a case against me let him draw near behold verse nine the lord god helps me the sovereign yahweh king ruler of the universe helps me again same phrase who is he who condemns me behold they will wear out like a garment the moth will eat them they stood there gathered together Pilate, wrestling through it says i find no fault with him Deal with it, and they cry out, crucify him. Jesus stands there silent. Who will contend with me? They cry louder, crucify him. We want him put to death. Jesus knows the one who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? And as they're enraged and the anger boils up more and more, and they cry out louder and louder, and they get their way, and they think that they have defeated him, and Jesus knows nobody can contend with me. And so as their anger boils, as their rage moves forward, and as the most egregious act of sin in the history of the world is committed, Jesus knows it will be ultimately the victory of God for the salvation of mankind. So Jesus isn't worried about it. Now, this, because of what Jesus has done, this same idea we get to grasp onto. I want us to turn to Romans chapter 8. Briefly, Romans chapter 8, and we're going to begin looking around verse 30. Begin in verse 31. Verses 28 through 30, of course, we've just heard this declaration of the love of God. This unbreakable chain of God's grace that comes to those who trust in Jesus... So that they can stand declared right before God because of what Jesus did. And then verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If you know that the sovereign creator and sustainer of the world, the one who raised Jesus from the dead, if he's for you, then who cares who's against you? What's the worst they can do? Take your life, and in an instant, your experience is that of absolute blessedness in a moment. That's the worst they can do to me? We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. This is why Paul can say, momentary light affliction Now keep in mind who Paul is, and we've talked about this before, but Paul would constantly get the tar beat out of him for being a follower of Jesus. So when Paul says momentary light affliction, don't think he can't relate with the absolute hardships that you're going through. Momentary light affliction produces for us, an eternal weight of glory, far beyond anything that you could ever compare it with. So that at the moment when you experience affliction, God is actively producing for you in that moment glory so far beyond anything you could ever imagine that it can't even be compared with this affliction. That's what he's saying. If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? In other words, if God was willing to sacrifice Jesus for you, and to bring good out of that most horrendous situation, if he was willing, freely, and and desired to give the son over for your good and my good, don't you think that this affliction that you're in will somehow produce good for you? Because my goodness, he didn't hold back Jesus. He allowed him to go through that for you. So whatever you're going through right now, weary traveler, weary pilgrim on the way, It's tiring, you're running the race, you're exhausted. Life keeps bringing affliction at you. Hear this word, God is for you in that. How do we know? Because he was for you in Jesus on the cross. And so we just, we we take our eyes and we fix them on the cross and we take our ear morning by morning like the servant and we listen to that gracious word of the gospel. In Christ, God is for you. In Jesus, God is for you. He's got your back. You don't have to be perfect. Jesus was. You don't have to be strong all the time. Jesus was for you. And so whatever you're going through right now in your weariness, he's for you. He's with you. He's got you there. And that experience of weariness, although you may not ever feel it this way, you have to believe it this way, that experience of weariness is God's sustaining grace to you. We close in Isaiah 50 with these final words. And it's kind of a question after all of this, where? Where are you today? There's two verses that show two different things going on. One, in the weariness, saying, okay, this is hard. This is not what I expected. This is not what I thought the Christian life would be like. This is not what I expected my week, my year, my decade to be like my life to be like and yet i'm hearing from him and as hard as it is i'm trusting him and as as dark as it seems at moments of time when we feel like we're the ones in exile still in that darkness i'm i'm trusting him or or you're trying to light your own light you might be sitting here today and you just feel like you know what It's dark, I'm not sure, I think I should go my own way, try to make my own light. So listen now to verses 10 and 11 in Isaiah 50. Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant? This is the servant, of course, who has listened, who has heard, who has maintained faith in the midst of all of it. Who obeys this voice and this servant? That walks in darkness and has no light. That's interesting, isn't it? You wouldn't expect that. Did you know you can obey and it can be dark still? Now, this is not to say that Jesus is not the light of the world, but it means when times are hard and you feel exiled and you feel lonely and and you feel like, ugh, this is not what I signed up for. There's an obedience that walks through that. There's a faith that walks through that. Let him... Trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. There will be dark seasons, Christian, in this life. God knows that. Just trust. That in that darkness, in that hardship, in that weariness, he's there. And his sustaining grace is upholding you, will uphold you. Because those whom he foreknew, right? Those he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. This is done. Jesus has accomplished it all. And all you have to do is say, okay, okay, I'm not giving up. I'm not turning my back. And there are times you're going to feel like, oh, oh, the walls are caving in. He says, I know. I know, but I got you. Just trust that I won't let go. At the end of the day, that's what we do. We just trust he's not going to let go. Now, we try to follow, and we try to mimic him because it's good for us, and we know that, but at the end of the day, simply trust him. He won't let go. And when you do that, you testify to the fact that you have heard and you've met this God, and you know something of his faithfulness. And then finally, the last verse, and... Well, let it stand. Behold, all of you who kindle a fire, trying to do it yourself, who encircle yourselves with firebrands, who walk in the light of your fire among the brands that you have set ablaze. This is the person who in the darkness says, no, no, God, you're not doing good enough. I can do better. I'm out of here. I'm going to walk in the light of my own fire. And this is the word. This you will have from my hand. You will Lie down in torment, which is to say, if ultimately your final decision is that you will walk away from this God, then he will give you everything you want, which is the absence of his goodness in every way imaginable, which is the presence of torment like we could never imagine. And the question is just this. This is the simple question, why? Why would you ever do that when he has promised this kind of faithfulness? And so, yeah, the warning is there but the warning is there because he's coming after you in grace over and over and over again. So today, if you hear his voice, I would simply plead with you, do not harden your hearts. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and Lord, as we've heard this warning, we're reminded that this warning is only that stark of a warning in light of just how gracious and kind you are. Thank you for the servant, Lord, who has walked steadfastly and true, Lord, where we have not We pray, God, simply help us to trust today. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.